McPherson sitting in for John Gormley on this Monday morning. And just some tragic news coming out of Humboldt. Uh, we're just getting the details this morning. Three people are dead after falling through the ice on a lake near Humboldt on Saturday. So according to RCMP, officers were called about 2.20 p.m. to a house on Stony Lake, also Humboldt Lake, to help the Humboldt Fire Department and local paramedics who got a report that several people fell in through the ice into the lake. According to witnesses, five people went out onto the water. Uh, three of them were eventually recovered by firefighters. An adult woman and a female child were taken to the hospital for assessment, and a girl was pronounced dead at the scene. The other two people, both adult men, didn't resurface. Just an absolute tragedy. The RCMP's underwater recovery team did search the lake and sometime after 5 p.m. on Sunday recovered the bodies of those two men. So it's now under investigation by the Saskatchewan Coroner Service and police say there's no element of criminality and they won't be releasing any other details, including the victims' names. Just a tragedy on the ice at Humboldt Lake over the weekend. All right, back to the show here. We have a lot to talk about on this Monday morning, including a really fascinating new book by a UBC law professor. The book is called Indictment, the Criminal Justice System on Trial, and really pulls no punches when it comes to criticism of Canada's justice system. The author is Benjamin Perrin, and we find him in Vancouver this morning. Thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the letter that you got that started you on the path to authoring this book? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a law professor. I teach criminal law, um, do lots of comments in the media, shows like, like yours, been on before. And, um, you know, people are desperate for legal support, so they can't afford lawyers, so they'll sometimes, you know, call a law professor, email them and, and whatnot. And before I get a flood of emails <laughs> from people now, um, you know, I'm not practicing. I, I'm, you know, full-time teaching and, and research. So I'll just usually, you know, refer people to uh, if there's Legal Aid or some other community organization. This letter I received, though, five years ago was very different. Uh, it was a handwritten letter. It was seven to eight pages long. And it was written by an Indigenous man who was being incarcerated. And the reason it was different is he didn't ask me for any help. He just wanted to tell his story. And the, the letter was incredibly disturbing. Uh, one of the lines in it that was just like etched into my brain the moment I read it, he said, if you want to turn a man into an animal, put him in a cage without the resources to build himself back up. And uh, I didn't know what to do with the letter. You know, I put it to the side of my desk, and uh, I kept coming back to it. Uh, around the same time, um, Justice Canada launched a huge you know, public consultation. One of the questions they asked was, if you could design a new criminal justice system from scratch, what would it look like? So, so that question and that, that uh, jailhouse uh, dispatch that I received was the spark for this book, uh, Indictment. Benjamin Perrin is with us. The book is Indictment, the Criminal Justice System on Trial. A lot of things wrong with Canada's criminal justice system, and I don't even know where to begin. So in authoring this book, I know you did a ton of interviews, a ton of research. If you had to summarize problems with Canada's Peter Ju or Canada's criminal justice system, where would you even begin? Well, we started by going to the experts, and that's not the people uh, who have fancy degrees and you know, work out of universities or government. It's people who, who, who have lived their whole lives in the system. And um, so what we did is we put out a poster right across the country. We sent it to every um, victim and survivor support organization, so uh, women's shelters and um, 
support agencies, restorative justice programs, you name it. We also sent it to all the organizations we could find that support people who are being incarcerated. And it had a very simple question. It said to folks, what was your experience like with the criminal justice system? And within days, uh, we got completely overwhelmed. People from right across Canada, from all, you know, different types of backgrounds, was, were contacted us to share their stories. And, you know, it was absolutely incredible, the stories we heard from folks. Some of the first person I can just give you an example really stands out. Her name's, we give everyone a, a pseudonym to protect their privacy in the book. I call her Courtney. And when I spoke to her, she was 39 years old and in a halfway house. Um, but she, she told me from ages 12 to 39, she spent 25 years in and out, in and out of prisons and jails. That it, from the moment we legally are allowed to lock people up in Canada, age 12, that's what happened for her, and, and she was not alone. Um, we heard tragic stories of people who had absolutely horrific experiences in the child welfare system and were, you know, turned to things like drugs and alcohol to cope with that, that pain and self-medicate, and that got them into more, more difficulties with the, with the law, and the cycle just continued. And, and, you know, I can tell you that the common theme from all the folks we spoke to, whether it was survivors of crime or people who were offenders, was that the system is not working. It's not actually broken. It's perfectly designed to get the dismal results that we're seeing. That's an interesting comment. Uh, I know among the dismal results is obviously that revolving door. You know, people get out, they end up getting busted for the same thing. A week later, they end up right back in. They have the same experience, and the cycle just continues to turn. So what can we do to stop that revolving door? Well, we heard a lot uh, from folks in Saskatchewan, actually. Their their stories were, were particularly jarring. Um, I have to tell you, the there were a number of institutions that came up over and over again in our research. And again, this is a national study, just to make it clear. And Pine Grove Correctional Center for Women in uh, Prince Albert, I can tell you, stood out. It is a absolutely devastating place for people to be sent to. Um, we heard about um, the most horrific incidences of trauma, allegations of denial of medical care to people, um, including a woman who had a, a miscarriage. Uh, absolutely horrific stories. We know that people have died of, of drug overdose and suicide in massive numbers in Saskatchewan's uh, jails. And, uh, of course, uh, Saskatchewan, I'm sorry to say, stands out as one of the the one of the absolute worst places in the country for the disproportionate incarceration of indigenous people. And within the provincial system we're, you know, well over seventy, eighty percent of of people who are locked up in, in, in institutions in Saskatchewan are indigenous. And when we broke it down even further and uh looked at the data for twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, and we looked at youth. You know, these are people ages twelve to seventeen who are locked up. And if you looked at female youth in Saskatchewan Every single one of them in 2019 and 2020 was Indigenous. Every single one of them, 100%. So there is a massive amount of injustice and harm being done. And I will add, without making us any safer, people are getting it worse off than they entered. And um, that's the revolving door. And, you know, locking people up for longer doesn't help. They, they're all eventually getting out. And when we look at the costs of incarceration, the financial costs, not just the social costs, it's absolutely massive. So to sum it up, the criminal justice system is costly. It's ineffective and it's deadly. 
Benjamin Perrin is with us, law professor at the Peter A. Allard School of Law at the University of British Columbia. He joins us from Vancouver this morning. We often hear the terms restorative justice or transformational justice used in conversations about, you know, reforming the criminal justice system and the prison system in Canada. Can you tell us what those mean and what the goals are of the restorative justice and transformational justice movements? Yeah, I'm actually uh, going to be coming to Saskatchewan uh, next week. Um, there's a conference on that very topic on restorative justice in Moose Jaw. If folks are interested in checking that out, and absolutely uh, coming to yeah, coming also to um, Saskatoon for for an event at uh, at McNally there. So people are interested in coming here more. But in a nutshell, it starts with what's the what's the purpose of our our system, right? Right now, it's a punitive system. It's designed on punishing people. And victims and survivors are really an afterthought for the most part. They're essentially witnesses if it goes to trial. Uh, instead, the, the goal behind transformative justice is that we want to transform the trauma and harm in our society. That's the goal. We want people who were the victims and survivors of these often horrific incidents, that the primary focus should be on them. It should actually be on supporting and helping them to get better and get help and get healing. And, and it is not right now. And uh, and it should also be on transforming the trauma of the people who harmed them, rather than trying to you know use harsh punishments and jails and prisons and handcuffs to make them learn their lesson. The the research shows that doesn't work. Um, sending someone to prison is actually it increases their risk of reoffending. So in in this book indictment, we talk about like let's have some longer term solutions to harm in our society. Things like preventing childhood trauma um, and for harm happening now. Let's look at restorative justice. It has actually has better results. It costs less money, number one. Number two, victims and survivors express higher rates of satisfaction. And number three, people who were offenders committed less offenses after. There's lower rates of reoffending. Those are incredible outcomes. So we can continue to fixate on this old Victorian England, you know, tough on crime type approach that doesn't work, or we can, you know, chart a new path and try to actually break these cycles of, of harm and trauma uh, many of which are, are intergenerational. Law professor Benjamin Perrin joins us on this Monday morning. Uh, you're going to have to fight against public opinion on that one. I think about the Paul Bernardo transfer, and there were almost riots when people found out, not that he was being released, but just that he was essentially going to be moved to a place with a little bit more privileges and like a bigger cell. There, There's not a hole in the ground small enough for the public to want to sh- shove Paul Bernardo in there. I just feel like this is going to be an uphill fight against public opinion and as we work to reform Canada's justice system. Do you get the same sense? I think so. I mean, the knee-jerk reaction is to take a case like that and say that speaks for every case. It's not. I mean, Paul Bernardo, um, you know, Clifford Olson, Robert Picton, these are people whose names we know. Um, there are tens of thousands of people in the system who are not at all like that. They are people, and the system is not was not created for for those folks. It's created for these extreme cases. So when I talk about um, what would a new system look like, we absolutely have to have a place where we we put people who are a significant risk to the public or whose crimes, like Mr. Bernardo's, uh, shock the conscience of our society. They they should not be at large in our community. And the question is, though, where do we put them? Our, our system that we have right now is designed for essentially anyone and everyone who ends up going to jail. They go through the same system. And so we have most people, that means 99% of people, are getting out of, of prison. They are getting out. And so we need to think about, are they going to get out and be worse or better? Uh, in Vancouver today, we have a high-risk uh, 
sex offender warning that's gone out. It's in our community where I live, and my kids now want me to drive them to school because they're afraid because they heard about it. I told them about this guy, and his photos out everywhere. He had abducted a, a, a young child from his own home years ago, and now he's out on parole, you know. So, yeah, we need to protect ourselves. So how do we do that? And when people do get out, like, like, uh, like Mr. Hopley, who's the case I'm referring to now in Vancouver, I don't want them being released at such a high level of risk. If they are going to get out at all, they need to have had some support and, and, and work done. But again, most of the cases that we talk about in the system are not those extreme cases. So I looked at what Norway does. Uh, they used to have a system like Canada's and higher rates of recidivism. That's people reoffending, so they're locked away, but then they get out and they do it again. And what they did is they completely transformed. And so most people in prison, they have substance use issues, up to 93% of people. Most people incarcerated have mental health issues. They don't get any help for that. And in fact, those things get worse inside. They join gangs inside. We heard about that repeatedly. And so what Norway did is they became a totally different model. Um, they became a more innovative and humane approach where people, and rather than you know being inside sharpening their shank at night and um, joining a street gang, they're getting vocational training. They're getting mental health support. They're getting substance use treatment. And when they get out, the results speak for themselves. They had rates like ours of around 60 to 70 percent of reoffending down to just 20 percent. So if we really want to get serious about reducing harm and violence and the threats to our own safety, we need to take a different approach because our current approach is producing these cases we keep talking about. Benjamin Perrin, law professor at the Peter A. Allard School of Law in UBC. The book is Indictment, the Criminal Justice System on Trial. Uh, before I let you go, Professor Perrin, do you want to give the details of that book event in Saskatoon? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're going to be at the McNally Robinson uh, Bookstore in Saskatoon uh, next week. That's on Wednesday uh, November 15th, and it starts at 7 o'clock. And it's a free public event. People can come out and, uh, and, and hear more about the project and if you're interested to get a copy of the book. Um, they can also go to my website, just my name, Benjamin Perrin, P-E-R-I-N dot C-A, with a podcast as well. You can hear for yourself the stories of people who we interviewed. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to join our show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Benjamin Perrin, really interesting conversation there on reforming Canada's justice system. I'm Taylor McPherson sitting in for Gormley. Lots more still ahead here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Taylor McPherson sitting in for Gormley, much to the chagrin of everybody on the text line. They do not like that I was filled with anything but the highest praise for Pierre Polyev. You know, relax, I'm probably still going to vote for him. And he's still going to win every seat in Saskatchewan, so everybody just calm down. My goodness. Hey, did I tell you about my bat issues? Have I ever told you about this? I think I've finally got the bats under control at my condo. So I rent a condo that's kind of on the back of a building, very quiet back there, and we have bats out there. It's it's actually really cool. There's a big row of trees out behind my place, and at night, especially in the summer, around dusk, you can see bats flitting around through the trees. It's really cool. I, I love bats because they eat mosquitoes, and the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But it turns out I don't like getting too close to my friend, the bats. So I've had three bat encounters so far. The first one, pretty innocuous. A bat just flew up and stuck to the outside of my patio door screen, hanging upside down. It was pretty cool because I was on the other side of the screen. I took some photos of him, and he flew away. Kind of cool. 
Okay, whatever. So a few weeks later, there's a bat in one of the shared hallways of my building just sitting on the floor. I thought it was dead, so I go to give it the is it dead check with my shoe. Turns out it's not dead. It crawled around and hissed at me. So I thought, okay, I've got to deal with this stupid bat. I gave it some water because it seemed like it was probably in a bad way. And I got a shoebox over it and did the thing where you slide some cardboard underneath and then ran outside and let it go. And the bat flew away. And that was great. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, that's two fairly harmless bat encounters. The third bat encounter did not keep to the trend. I'd had a few drinks. I was ready for bed. I was just ready to hit the hit the bed and sleep for 10 hours. And I started hearing this like scratching sound in my kitchen. I thought it was a mouse, but you can't go to bed if you think there's a wild animal in your place. So I had to go investigate despite the fact I'd had a few drinks and really didn't want to. Turns out it was a bat flying around my condo. And they do this thing where they fly directly at your face and then swerve at the last minute. So I had to fight this bat for like probably an hour. I'm chasing it around with a beach towel, trying to get a towel over this thing. I finally do, and I try to catch my breath, and the thing crawls out from underneath the towel and takes off on the ground. I didn't even think they could take off from the ground. I had no idea. But let me tell you, they can. So ultimately, I chased it around for like another half hour, got the towel over it, dove on it like a grenade, took it outside and shook out the towel and finally, this, this bat survived as well. I'm a friend to the bats. But the next one, I'm just going to step on. I'm done with bats in my condo. And I actually had to go around the outside and look at all the vents and I found how they're getting in. It's getting in or they were getting in through a dryer vent that the screen had fallen off the bottom of it. So I got in touch with the building owners. They put a one-way latch on it and I haven't had any bats bat issues ever since. But I'm just glad, you know, Halloween is behind us and I think my bat issues might finally be in the rearview mirror as well. Coming up after the break, we catch up with Marvin Rotrand with Benai Brith Canada. They are pushing to make Holocaust education mandatory in schools across Canada. I was staggered that it wasn't. We'll meet him right after this on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.